Welcome into 24 Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 24 Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. Today, we're going to review some of ESPN's latest work, Mel Kuyper Jr.'s latest big board and position rankings. Going to look at Todd McShay's latest mock draft. And then we're also going to look at Daniel Jeremiah of NFL.com's latest mock draft. Get some ideas of what other guys in the space are doing looking at this draft upcoming. And then after that, we have interviews with TCU's Trayvon Morig and UCLA running back, receiver, whatever you want to call him, Dimitri Felton at the back end of the podcast. Let's get it. back in studio back-to-back days we don't normally record on a Tuesday and I want to apologize to everybody yesterday podcast came out late and I get that and I'm sorry but the snow kept us from coming in the office it was an absolute blizzard like six to nine inches or whatever it was coming in to there's a big difference between six and nine. I know I know well aware <laughs> well aware but yeah snow kept us from recording the podcast came out yesterday though and we're gonna have this one out today recording here in studio on a Wednesday got a fun one gonna look at Mel Kuyper Jr.'s latest big board Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft, McShay's mock draft. And then we have some interviews at the back end. My guy, Trey Morig, Trayvon Morig of TCU. And then also I talked to Senior Bowl star, Demetric Felton, who um, he said he played the season, I think a little over 200 pounds, and then dropped some weight to move to wide receiver at Senior Bowl and expects to play a ton of different positions in the NFL. Both those interviews are interesting. Tr- Trayvon Morig is also Really, really fantastic interview. Talks about his role and how he compares himself to Jamal Adams and all that stuff. It should be a ton of fun at the back end here. But first, let's start with Mel Kiber Jr.'s big board. You can go to ESPN.com if you have an insider subscription or a plus subscription and check out the full big board. But I just want to hit the highlights. Yes. I think it has to start with Devontae Smith being as high as number three. You know, he has Devontae Smith as the number three overall prospect on his board. And to kind of run through the top there. Number one is obviously Trevor Lawrence. Number two is Panay Sewell of Oregon. And then number three is Devontae Smith. Number four, Jamar Chase. Like, again, no quarterbacks. Jamar Chase. Number five, Kyle Pitts. Number six, Jalen Waddell. And then finally at seven, he has Justin Fields. What is your opinion of structuring a big boy like this when you're not factoring in positional value of the quarterback position? I mean, like, you're not, you're you're obviously not. This is my time of year that I'm going to go on this rant about how dumb I think it is. And, our big board is assembled as if I'm a team that needs every single position and I'm willing to run a scheme that that guy is a good fit in. Mm-hmm. That's how I'd assemble the big board. Now, that's obviously when you have certain positions and certain schemes will very vastly alter that. And if you don't need certain positions, your board will look, as an NFL team, will look vastly different from what PFF's draft board will. But when you are in the media and that is like you're in this vacuum of obviously none of this really matters anyway. We're just people on the outside shouting about our opinion on these guys, it makes no sense to me to put together this theoretical talent big board of, oh, this guy is more talented per his position, Devontae Smith at number three, than Justin Fields is at his position quarterback at number seven. If you needed a quarterback and you needed a wide receiver, you would be a dumbass, in my humble opinion, to draft Devontae Smith over Justin Fields. That just no one would do that. And so why assemble a draft board like that? I don't know. But then also, if that's kind of how you're doing it, based off of like theoretically how good you are relative to your position, Cal Pitts is a better tight end prospect than pretty much any wide receiver prospect in this class per like compared to their position. Yeah. Generally, like 
I'm not sure we've seen a tight end prospect as good as Kyle Pitts in the last. I, I honestly don't know the last one. Uh, he is a unicorn athletically in what he can do from a receiving perspective at the tight end position. Devontae Smith, very, very good wide receiver. Not a unicorn. He's not Calvin Johnson. He is not at that level of assuredness as a prospect. We have seen far better prospects than Devontae Smith coming out of college at his position. And then also, if that's the case, why aren't you putting kickers in here? Like, why, why aren't you ranking punters? Why aren't you ranking long snappers? They, there's a, Joe Cardona was a hell of a long snapper a few years ago. I didn't see him on Mel Kuyper's top 25. Why not? Yeah, I, mean, I really do think that the process of building a big board without heavily factoring in positional value and, and knowing that quarterback is what will run the NFL draft, I, I think makes it hard. Because yeah, like you're not going just... to draft Jalen Waddell over Justin Fields if you need a quarterback. You're not going to draft Jalen Waddell if you need over a quarterback if you need Zach Wilson. So, I mean, it's 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 an interesting way to build it. But we, we, talked, to, we talked to Scott Pioli last year, former GM, I believe, of the Kansas City Chiefs. Is mm-hmm. that right? Um, and he was assistant for the Falcons for a while. He said, in their, in their draft room, two boards, one of the theoretical talent level, their grades on guys stacked, and then one based off of how that actually, what they actually need on their team and what actually, how impactful that guy could be for them if they were drafted. To me, the theoretical grade stuff is fine, but that's only fine like internal to your position, mm-hmm. honestly, and historically at your position, comparing across positions year to year. It's not impactful for that year's draft the actual how they're going to impact your team is the board that is what gets drafted off of and what actually matters. And I think that's why it's more important to look at like his positional rankings and where he stacks this quarterback yeah. class and not so much like their actual ranking on the big board because I do think that he's factoring in other things. But let's jump to those quarterback rankings because at seven, he has Justin Fields, and at eight, he has Zach Wilson. He has Fields ahead of Wilson. Do you think you know ESPN, I think Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper are the only two analysts really left that are consistently mocking Wilson over, or Fields, Fields ahead of Wilson. Wilson. I think Wilson is the kind of consensus number two. Is he not? Or is that? That's what I, I've gathered mm-hmm. and I, how I just think the NFL will see it eventually. And obviously it's not even the NFL. It's the Jets. You know, yeah. It's Joe Douglas. That's who has to make the decision. Make that decision. So I, I do think it will ultimately be Wilson. I feel fairly confident that it will ultimately be Wilson. But like Fields is damn good too. Yeah. And I've said it, if you're – you're willing to really buy in to the running game if you got a stacked offensive line and that's going to be a big part of what you want to do you could have fields it's a better grade than wilson fields can be better for your team than wilson where i don't agree with that is he has mac jones at 12 and then trey lance at 13 having mac jones ahead of trey lance the only person i've ever had that i've heard have that take is anthony trash pff's own anthony trash saying mac jones is a better prospect than trey lance what so I think the argument for that is that Mac Jones has played a lot more good football in his career, in his collegiate career. Like he has shown from a production standpoint, a success standpoint, a lot of things you like at the quarterback position. While Trey Lance, yes, he had success in 2019, but has only played one game since then against Central Arkansas. Didn't even look all that great. Is Mac Jones's polish or theoretical floor reason enough to put him ahead of Trey Lance, who has the ceiling of a top five, top three quarterback in the NFL? The thing is, I. Th- no, in my opinion. But it's also because Lance has a high floor with his rushing ability. Like the, He is the best runner at the quarterback position in this draft class. Again, we've seen that you do not have to beat a ton. Like Jalen Hurts came in and is immediately an upgrade over Carson Wentz last year. Even though he is not was not better as a passer whatsoever. Like did not show much better, did not grade much better in that regard. It is because he can move an offense when nothing is there with his legs. 
instead of taking sacks in those situations that Carson Wentz does, he's picking up first downs. That's a massive difference. And then also it just makes your running game better. So I think that would be insane to me to go. I, I may regret these words three years down the road, but it would be insane to me to value Mac Jones higher than Trey Lance in this draft class. Yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting conversation. I wonder how the NFL sees it. Because when we've talked to other scouts and other analysts, I mean, it's been Trey Lance is potentially the number two, number three guy on the board. You know, not so much like yes. even factoring Mac Jones into the conversation. This is the first that I'm really seeing Mac Jones being considered ahead of Trey Lance from one of the other bigger outlets. The other highlight I hear I wanted to show we was... We get Seth Galina on to give us his... Because he'd probably get on board with the Mac Jones over Trey Lance. Get him to maybe. outline... He wrote the piece last week on PFF.com saying he's a better prospect than Tua. Again, I can't get on board with that. But we need to get Seth on to see exactly why he's all in on the Mac Jones. We need to get him to say somebody can't play again. Yes. So that they can get quote We do need to get him by just his takes on the entire quarterback we class. We need his takes on the entire quarterback class again. And we need him to say, of these quarterbacks, which do you think most can't, can't play? play? And, you know, we'll see how it goes. I think that's a great call out. Uh, the other uh, thing on Mel Kiber's board I found interesting is that he has Jalen Phillips as the number 17 overall player. That's the Miami, Florida edge defender and as the top edge in this class. And I, I don't disagree with, you know, the, I don't disagree with this wholeheartedly i think you know you could argue that from a talent perspective jalen phillips is the most talented edge in this class you could like you could i'm not again this isn't something that's stunning i think there are other analysts other scouts multiple front offices in the nfl that see jalen phillips as the best or most talented edge the problem is is how do you evaluate his medicals how do you say to yourself he's a concussion away from retiring from football forever how do you rank a player like that i still don't know i still don't know what you have to do to like factor that in. Like you're obviously talking to your team doctors. You're talking to other people with experience with concussions and that stuff, but like, and you're talking to him. But I mean, from a talent perspective, I'm not surprised by this ranking. You should try to get pro football doc on. We might have to, or your dad, your dad's a doctor. I've heard. Uh, He didn't really do cognitive stuff. Concussions. Shoot him a text and see what he's got. I did get a concussion one time and he told me to go into a dark room and I puked. So, Oh my God. That's pretty brutal. Dang. <laughs> Wait, what? You just puked as soon as you got in the dark room? Well, you're just like, after a concussion, you can be really fucked up for a while. Man. And I was just like, hurt. how'd you get it? I got it playing baseball and fall ball, and the field was like frozen. And so I dove. Uh. And my face just landed. I don't even remember. Next thing I know, I just, I remember putting my hands to my head. And then next thing I know, the whole team is around me. I'm like, whoa. I thought I was just, I just dove. Yikes. I, they got there quick. No, I was like out for a little bit, but. And we've said this a thousand times, but I really do think this edge class, every single analyst is going to have a different set of rankings. Like it's going to be, Phillips is going to be one, Pay is going to be one, you know, Oway, like all of that is just, it, there's going to be a huge carousel of who's edge one in this class. And it'll be interesting to see where they fall out because I do think there are a ton of athletic freaks like Phillips, like Rousseau, like Pay, like Oway that will likely come off in the first 32 picks. It's just how they stack up will really be um, kind of dealer's choice. Um, last one here, Kelvin Joseph, Kentucky cornerback, is the number 25 player on Mel Kuyper's big board. Yes. We have not talked about this guy at all. We have not. He's a redshirt sophomore, transfer from LSU. So, like, redshirt sophomore, first year of playing at Kentucky this past year, I wasn't on the radar. Like, I, I did not really know about him until he declared for the draft. And I'm not putting him top 25, but if you watch his Alabama tape, he held up about as well a cornerback against Alabama as anyone else. Now, if you watch the rest of his tape, not nearly as ideal. Like he's got, he got toasted by Kyle Pitts on a post route this year. Like it was 
60 yard touchdown and it was on him and he was not catching up to Cal Pitts in the open field, which a little scary, obviously, because Cal Pitts fast, not that fast. You should be catching up to Cal Pitts if you're a top tier speed guy at the cornerback position, but it's got the NFL body. I just, he was real jumpy on his tape at Kentucky that I, I didn't, I'm not getting on board with 25 overall, but like he has probably the sort of hips and body type that's going to be coveted highly. You brought up Kyle Pitts' 40 time, and I was talking to Brevin Jordan last night, the Miami, Florida tight end, and um, he was talking about Jalen Phillips and Greg Rousseau having to block him in practice and all this stuff. He says Jalen Phillips probably running four or five. Oh, wow. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? Everyone I've talked to about Brevin or Jalen Phillips is like, yeah, he's probably going to run a four or five. Like, yeah, he's the fastest player first. Holy shit. He's, he's, uh, he, runs, he said he ran with the skill players. Jalen Phillips runs with the skill players at Miami. Oh, that's like that was Cameron Jordan's thing back at was he? Yeah. Oh wow. At Cal. Was he he would always work out with the skill guys and he was like two two eighty five though. He was, he was even bigger then. Incredible. All oh, right. Uh, a couple more highlights here. Uh his wide receiver rank. So in addition to his top twenty five, he also does um in his big board positional rankings, like top ten at each position. And for his wide receivers, I found this interesting. So he obviously has like the big three in this class, which is uh Devontae Smith, then Jamar Chase, then Jalen Waddle. Everyone has those three kind of as the top three receivers in this class. But after that, it goes Kadarius Toney, Elijah Moore, Tutu Atwell, Terrace Marshall, and then Rashad Bateman. Rashad Bateman all the way down at what? That would be eight, eighth-ranked receiver in this class. After Tutu? After Terrace? T- I, I find that kind of insane. The Tutu stuff I don't get, man. He can fly, but that, that to me just guys are falling in love with speed. And there's a lot more about playing receiver than just, just speed. Now, now I do think the game has evolved. Certain offenses, you you can utilize speed nowadays more so more than ever. Like you can get those guys free releases. You can just take advantage of the fact that they're fast and they don't necessarily have to bring much more to the table to make an impact. But if I'm putting them ahead of a guy like Rashad Bateman, who I think can make an impact everywhere on the football field, that's a tough ask for me. I, I just think Rashad Bateman's so polished, you just know what you're getting with Rashad Bateman. Those other guys... I guess Elijah Moore is pretty polished too, but he's more of a slot. The other guys, you you just don't necessarily know. Terrace Marshall's probably physically more gifted than Rashad Bateman, but is nowhere near the polished type route runner that Rashad Bateman is at this point. I, I could see, you know, starting to consider... And it is a skill position. Yeah, yeah, it is a skill it. position. I can see starting to consider Kadarius Tony or Elijah Moore over Bateman, but I don't, I don't, I can't buy into the idea of Tutu Atwell and Terrace Marshall over Rashad Bateman yeah. because at that point, I think what it is really valuing is athleticism and speed. And it's like, hey, Terrace Marshall, better athlete over Bateman. Yeah. Tutu Atwell, better athlete, he's going over Bateman. Like you have to, at a certain point, say, hey, this guy's going to run maybe in the four fives, isn't in a super you know, explosive or, you know, um, short area quickness athlete, but like he gets open consistently, wins against press, really yeah. good ball skills. Um, at eight, that is that is a bit rich. The yeah, other I, thing I he, actually went back and watched. I ranked all the wide receiver rankings are up on PFF right now, top ten. Mm-hmm. Went back and watched a lot of Bateman because this guy, where again, people are not calling him a first round. He's probably not going to go in the first round. He doesn't have first round speed, but man, the, the way he his breaks at his like on a post on a dig are so crisp for a college wide receiver. And yeah, you can improve on that. But there's levels to where you can get physically. Some guys don't get there. I'll take the guy that already has shown that wholesale and is already doing the things that you need to do in the NFL to get open. Rashad Bateman. And then after the catch, too, he can 
make you miss and also can win like by with stiff arm. He has a number of ways to get gain yak. I, I just think he's he's the guy who probably, like I said, don't go in maybe top 25, won't go in the first round, but just everyone's going to be like the, like the Michael Thomas of the class. That uh, I was like, how do he fall? Oh, he wasn't a physical freak, but he just, the guy wins. I think that's I think that's fair. I think originally I thought Rashad Bateman could slip in the back in the first rounds, and I know we've mocked him there at times, but I do think the NFL ultimately values, you know, these freaks at the position more than Rashad Bateman. He ends up being a steal in the 2021 NFL draft. Uh the other thing he had here that I thought was interesting was Rashawn Slater, the Northwestern offensive tackle, I think a top 15 player on PFF's big board, as the number one guard in this class. Did not have him listed at tackle. He had Panay Sewell, then Darisaw. And then I don't have his tackle rankings in front of him, but he did not have Slater. And then I looked further down. He has Slater at guard. Do you okay. think he starts out at guard in the NFL? Depends on who drafts him. But NFL office line coaches like arm lines. They just do. I was watching a video of Paul Alexander, friend of the pod the other day, talking about he hates short-armed, he hates sub-33-inch armed tackles. He just says, like, there's gives you fewer ways to win because a lot of pass rushing moves, it is – a contact game. It is who's who can get into whose shoulder pads. Who can get into whom's? You're the editor. I don't know what you're saying. Okay. Who can get into whom's shoulder pads? And when you don't have that length, when you're when you're out lengthed, sounds so weird to say, by multiple inches. It's <laughs> not what I'm going. With. If you're out lengthed by multiple <laughs> inches in a tackle edge interaction, you're behind the eight ball. You, you have to do. A, you have to be damn damn good to overcome that consistently. So I could see teams just being like, no, we'll kick him at guard because he'll be we know he'll be good there. You know, it's 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 difficult being out length in any situation, honestly. And I think that's where I think Paul Alexander is really right. Uh, yeah, they're like it fucks with your manhood. Man. I mean, talking to John, Jonah Williams, I think he, that was like the biggest question with him because of his on length. But yeah. he does talk about like ways to like make up for it in other areas. But I do think you there is no questioning that you are behind the eight ball. It is not like, oh, it's not a disadvantage. No, it is a disadvantage, but you have to find ways to make up for it in other areas. Obviously, there's some other tackles that don't reach that 34 inch, you know, mark like, you know, Bakhtiari and Staley are always those guys who have done well, but it is going to make your life more difficult. Yeah. So, um, and Paul Alexander said 33, which I think Slater's supposedly under 33 also, which is uh-oh, very low. Uh-oh. Yeah. All right. Uh, the defensive tackle class, I thought he ranked interestingly. None in the top 25 of his rankings, but he did have it as Iowa's Davion Nixon, then Christian Barmore, and then Levi Muzurike as his top three interior defensive linemen in this class. You're not buying into the Davion Nixon hype. No. Not. He's not consistent whatsoever. And... Davion Nixon versus Christian Barmore. I cannot see a world where if you've watched the entirety of the tape of both that you would put Davion Nixon above Christian Barmore. He's not as athletic. Doesn't have a prototypical size length like Barmore has. He's older. Not as productive. Didn't face as good a competition. Like there's, I, I just like, I, I, I don't, someone's got to explain that to me. I'd like to hear, we should get Mel on to explain that one to me. We'll try and get Mel that on. One. He's a hot commodity. Yeah. But so, Mel but, still, I don't understand. But I do think it, it speaks to what we've said about the defensive tackle class. It's just not that great. But it is not that great. You know, Christian Barmore, I think, is ranked, what, 14th on our board, somewhere in that range. And then after that, we don't have a defensive tackle ranked inside the top 40. Yeah. And I think right here, he doesn't even have any of them ranked inside the top 25. It is not a good defensive tackle class. It is it, not the year to force needed that position mm-hmm. after Christian Barmore, where you're going to find value for these guys. It's like picking up an Ali McNeil on day two, picking up a 
Tyler Shelvin on late day two, day three. Like that's where you're going to see value in the defensive tackle class, not necessarily drafting one highly in the first round. Last thing here on Mel Kuyper's big board, and then we'll jump to McShay's mock, um, is his safety rankings I thought were interesting. Trayvon Morig at number one, respect. Then Javon Holland, the Oregon uh, safety slot corner that I really like. And then at third, he has um, Hufanga, the USC safety. Talanoa Hufanga, who like is this former four-star, five-star recruit with all these tools, has just really battled injuries and trying to stay on the field. We haven't talked about him a ton. What's your opinion of Hufanga? Hufanga? To me, he's a box safety only, which that's fine. I mean, that's that's a role in some teams. That's not the valuable thing you do at safety position. Valuable thing you do at safety position is deep, Slot, deep slot. Those are the things that uh, that impact the game in a, in a more and more meaningful way. To me, he is a all downhill player. When he does anything other than attack downhill, it's not as good. And I also don't think he's quite at the level where you can transition him to linebacker full time. Maybe like a dime safety role where he's the box guy full time, but I don't think he's near good enough at like taking out blocks, those sort of things, to be able to just hold up in the box all day, every day. So I'm just going to be lower on a guy who's a box safety. We were lower on Raider safety, Jonathan Abram coming out because he was a box. So you weren't going to play him deep. They've tried to play him deep. Been awful. A guy who's just a box safety to me is just not worth top few, top couple round, top couple round uh, draft pick because – you're not versatile. You're what you have to be versatile at safety in today's NFL. You have to be able to do multiple things. When you can't, when like you can't be flexible, you're just not again bringing value to the table. I definitely like him as a box player at the next level. Yeah. You know, you have in the yeah. draft guide one of his biggest strengths being a big hitter, and you can get that draft guide on PFF.com if you have an edge or an elite subscription. But you do have him as a six round value. His his background is interesting. Former four star, always wanted to go USC. His cousin is actually also in this draft class, Marlon Tui Pelotu, who we actually might have on the podcast here pretty soon, hey. Marlon. But um, I've had some questions. People were DMing me about Talanoa Hufanga and why we're so low on him compared to some others. But I do agree with you that versatility has to be the most coveted aspect of the position right now. Like, you need to be able to play everything. The best safeties in the NFL play everything. Even Jamal Adams, as much box as he plays, can do it all. He can play everything if he wants to, and I think that's where teams are going to look for. So if you are bringing in strictly a box player, drafting him highly probably isn't the move, a.k.a. Las Vegas Raiders bringing in Jonathan Abram in the first round. Um, Enough about that, Shade. Let's jump to the Todd McShay mock draft now and kind of review this. The way I want to do this is kind of how we do our mock drafts, read five picks at a time, comment on some of the notables, and we'll get in and ju- then jump to Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft. So for Todd McShay, he published this, I think, hmm, February 9th. Trevor Lawrence at one to Jags, Zach Wilson at two to the Jets, have to respect it. Then the big one here, he has the Carolina Panthers trading up with the Miami Dolphins to go grab Trey Lance, not Justin Fields, to go grab, to go grab Trey Lance at three and then at four, Justin Fields, the Atlanta Falcons, and then the dream scenario, Panay Sewell of Oregon going to the Cincinnati Bengals. What's your opinion of Panthers going after Lance, not Fields, in a trade-up situation? They're, they're zigging. They, they're going complete opposite direction of Teddy Bridgewater is what they're doing there. That's Bridgewater, middling arm, underneath, game manager, Trey Lance, monster arm, over the top, although still some game manager traits to him. He, doesn't, he didn't make a lot of mistakes with the football over the course of his career. I think only five turnover plays his entire college career. So has that aspect to him too. Uh, if that's where you're going to go and, and you're stuck with Bridgewater this year and you're the Carolina Panthers, you are. So 
he's going to say Lance would probably take a year on the bench at that point. I'm not going to argue too hard against it. He has the physical tools that, again, are ridiculous. That lottery ticket can be worth a lot if you hit on it. Kuiper is probably blown away that they didn't do that trade for Mac Jones. You know, I mean, Mac Jones is still on the board. Might as well go up and grab him. No, I'm just kidding. Well, for Devontae Smith. He's or Devontae, I mean, Devontae Smith's still on the board, guys. Yeah. Devontae Smith is still on the board, and you're trading up for Trey Lance. Ten spots what, ahead of 16th Trey 16th best player on Mel yeah. Kuyper's board? What are you doing? What are you doing? Best player available. But uh, I do think that the Panthers would be smart to trade up and go grab a quarterback, whether that's Lance or Fields. I think the Eagles, as I've seen in my mock draft, would be smart to go up and try and grab a quarterback. Like go, like these teams that are going to be, you know, say, if Miami doesn't want a quarterback, that number three pick, if they're like, yeah, we're probably going to take Sewell or Devontae Smith, Trading back to six or eight or, say, nine with the Denver Broncos, 12 with the San Francisco 49ers, there has to be people looking to come up and go grab a quarterback. I think Carolina, I've seen rumors looking to get aggressive at upgrading the quarterback position. I think other teams will do that as well. I think there's a likely scenario where that number three pick is ultimately traded away and the team comes yeah. up and go grab I do like I do like the QBs, one, two, three, four. I think that's a realistic scenario with how how good those guys are and then just how different they are from QB5. I feel really good about QB one, two, three. Yeah. Especially if Miami trades out or like only if Miami trades out, but I'm kind of banking on that. I could see the Atlanta Falcons after being mocked a quarterback a ton, get out of it and then ultimately grab like a receiver or something at four or say Panay Sewell at four and say, Hey, we're, we're building around Matt Ryan. All this smoke about the quarterback position. We're not doing it. Something like that. Because the problem is, is Matt Ryan's contract's very difficult to get out of, and he still has multiple years left. Like it'd be very difficult to bring in. Matt Ryan's still good. And Matt Ryan's still you're, good. You're, you, your upshot of Justin Fields, a good case scenario is for him to be as good as Matt Ryan. You know, that that's like, that would be hitting on that pick is to get another Matt Ryan. So he's only 35. You could win a Super Bowl with Matt Ryan if your defense doesn't give up, you know, 28 points on the stretch unanswered. Yeah. Number six, he has the Philadelphia Eagles taking Jamar Chase. A little run on receivers here. Lions grab Devontae Smith of Alabama. Lions fans want a receiver. They know Kenny Galladay could leave. They know they might tag him. But also Marvin Jones, Danny Andola, Danny Amendola. A lot of free agent wide receivers. The Detroit Lions fans, from what I've seen on Twitter, really want a receiver here. They get Devontae Smith and Todd McShay's mock draft. The Dolphins, after trading back with the Carolina Panthers, grab Jalen Waddell, pair him back up with Tua Tungabailoa. At nine, Patrick Sertan goes to the Denver Broncos. And at 10, Caleb Farley goes to the Dallas Cowboys. That we consistently see. Yeah, Farley and chalky. Sertan going nine and 10 has is, is been chalky of late. Um, but let's talk about... The, I mean, there's not a lot of notables here. Like, yeah, if the quarterbacks are off the board, I think you could see this run on wide receivers uh, from that six to ten range. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's pretty much what we've seen across a lot of mocks at this point. This is making a lot of fans happy. You know, they want to see consistency. Yeah, exactly. They don't want to see, you know, they don't want to see anything bold. Here, they don't want to see the worst mock ever. They don't want to see the worst mock ever. So let's jump to eleven. Eleven, kind of, so. 11, the New York Giants end up grabbing Kyle Pitts of Florida. I could see him stepping in ahead of, say, a Waddle or a Smith or Chase even for a team that really wants to get aggressive at winning over the middle of the field and bringing in a potential top five tight end in the NFL. But if he does fall to 11, Evan Ingram should not keep you from bringing in Kyle Pitts, Giants fans. And you do not need to force the fourth best receiver on the board in this situation. Like if Chase, Waddle, and Smith are gone... Go grabbing Kyle Pitts is not a consolation prize. It is a freaking first place prize. That is awesome for your offense. I think and Daniel Jones. That's the thing about Kyle Pitts and his skill set. It's not redundant to anyone in the NFL, besides maybe Travis Kelsey or Darren Waller. 
Like it's not a redundant. Even those teams would take care. <laughs> exactly. Like even those teams though would want. It's not a redundant skill set. Like those guys can share a field. Him and Evan Ingram. You don't. You're not just saying, oh, we run only one tight end on the field at a time. Sorry, Ingram, you can't play now. Sorry, Pitts, you can't play now. No, Pitts could just go play wide receiver for this down. That's fine. He's very good at that too. Like that's that's the beauty of having a guy like that is that you're f- wholly flexible in terms of what you can do. That it's not just saying, oh, we have a we have a tight end. No, thank you, generational talent. This one's wild to me. Yeah. Number twelve, Chicago Bears. They trade, trade up. up. They trade up San Francisco and grab Mac Jones of Alabama. At thirteen, Rashawn Slater goes to the Los Angeles Chargers. At fourteen, Elijah Vera Tucker goes to the Vikings. And at fifteen, which I think we've seen a ton, Micah Parsons of Penn State falls to the England Patriots. Let's talk about the Bears trading up from what twenty to twelve to go grab Mac Jones. Bears quarterback situation, we're going to have to dive into like free agency. I think next week we should yeah, probably start to go through what we think teams should do. Probably do like a preview of each conference. But the Bears are the one team that I don't think they're going to be in the quarterback in the draft. I don't think so because Ryan Pace's job is on the line. He has to win this year. You can't, you can't restart with Mac Jones and hope that he hits the ground running as a rookie quarterback and takes you to the playoffs. Because if he doesn't, you're gone. If, if it doesn't happen this year, they're gone. So they are going to be firmly in the veteran quarterback market who can take us there right now. They might, they might sell draft capital to do it, but it's not going to be sell draft capital to move up and get Mac Jones or Trey Lance. I don't, I don't think. Because that guy's not going to do the playoffs. And then once you don't get the playoffs, boom, you're gone. That's the sad reality of kind of giving that guy who's tilting on the edge of his job, the hot seat GM, of mm-hmm. giving him that one more year kind of like Bob Quinn in Detroit last year, where you don't maybe make the best sound long-term decisions because you're mortgaging for your job right now. Yeah. And that's not a great position to be in as an organization, sadly. Unfortunate for the Bears. I don't think this happens, and I don't think Bears fans would even like it either. Like yeah. They'd rather, I think, even see Carson Wentz. I don't know. Maybe not. But it's, it's hard <laughs> to say. Don't go that far. That's maybe good. not Let's Carson Wentz, but I do think they'd rather see you know getting aggressive like with the Jimmy Garoppolo, a Derek Carr, yeah. even picking up Cam Newton at this point, like trying to find a guy that could come in. Dude, I think Newton's getting slept on. I think he, like, he was all right. And that receiving core in like New at least England made Tom Foles. Brady. At least better than Nick Foles. That receiving core in, and offense in, in New England yeah. made Tom Brady, the Hall, the future Hall of Fame, now Super Bowl, reigning Super Bowl champion, look terrible. Yeah. Like Cam Newton was going to look bad in that offense with how bad that roster is. So maybe people are sleeping on Cam Newton. Not a lot of other notables here in that 15 range. I think Slater, the Chargers, is something I see a lot of. And with the Minnesota Vikings, if those three best receivers are off the board, like I think I could, you could see them go offensive line here with like Elijah Vera Tucker. Jumping to 16, Carolina Panthers grab Gregor Rousseau of Miami, Florida. Raiders grab Jeremiah Wusu-Kormoa of Notre Dame at 18. My guy, Jalen Phillips of Miami, goes to the Miami Dolphins at 19. Washington football team grabs Kadarius Toney. And at 20, after trading back with the Chicago Bears, San Francisco 49ers grab safety Trayvon Morig. I think in that range, you've seen a ton of Gregor Rousseau to the Cardinals, the linebacker addressing for this, the Raiders at 17. What I think is interesting is the football team going after Tony and the, the Niners grabbing our favorite safety in the class at 20. Yeah, because the Niners, no one would mock him at safety at 12. Yeah. No one would be like, oh, yeah, go more like then. But once you trade back, I think that becomes a far more realistic option. That defenses, I mean, why they, a big reason why they got to the, Super Bowl a couple years ago. So I think adding to that 
couldn't hurt the Tony pick at 19. That's high, man. That's just, and he's a nice complimentary. Like you're not getting him in there to ask him to be your number one guy in Washington. You got that guy. You got Terry McLaurin, but at 19, I would just like, I would like a more of a sure thing as a number two wide receiver. If I already have a Terry McLaurin is all I'll say that being more like an Elijah Moore would be. But I like adding to the offense. I like trying to attack the offense side of the ball because whoever starts at quarterback for the football team is going to need an elite supporting cast to take them into the postseason again next season. At um, 21, he has the Indianapolis Colts grabbing Quiddy Pay of Michigan, Titans grabbing Aziz Ojulari of Georgia, Jets grabbing running back Travis Etienne of Clemson ahead of Najee Harris, which is interesting. Because a lot of the ESPN guys, a lot of you know draft yeah. draft analysts like Najee Harris as the number one back in this class. So having ETN even, obviously, we're not mocking him in any first rounds anytime soon, but having him go ahead of Harris is interesting. And at 24, Christian Derrissaw, which I think it would be a steal for the Steelers at 24. They grabbed Christian Derrissaw, the offensive tackle of Virginia Tech. And then at 25, Levi Amuzurike of Washington going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Do you think after the Senior Bowl, Levi and Wuzurike will be viewed as a first-rounder by teams? Do you think he sneaks into the back end of the first round? No. I just you, The only th- thing that could get him there is the fact that just like teams need defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. I desperately need defensive tackle. He's the next one because he's not, in my opinion, his tape's not first round at this point. His first round caliber athlete, his tape's not matched that. The one pick I want to go back to there, though, the Jets going running back. And you're going to hear probably a thousand times about the Jets and running back, quarterback, young quarterback's best friend. You got Zach Wilson there too. Give him, give him his best friend. Strong running games, quarterback's best friend. It is no secret that the people probably saying that, the quarterbacks saying that on TV, were not good quarterbacks in the NFL. You know who I'm talking about when I'm saying the quarterback, the quarterback pundits. They needed the run. They needed a strong running game. They needed those guys because that's how they move the ball offensively. When you are actually a good elite quarterback, what you need is an offensive line. You don't need a strong running game. A strong offensive line will give you a strong running game. A strong offensive line will also have the benefit of giving you strong pass protection and ability to throw the football down the football field. So if they went running back with that second first-round pick, I would would be so upset as a Jets fan because it's not going to, one, give you a strong running game, or two, be your quarterback's best friend. Quarterback's best friend will be a nice offensive line and some weapons for him. Multiple Downfield. best friends. Multiple best friends. And yeah. the offensive line, there was that'd kind be, of a that'd, run that'd there. Be like a guy you text sometimes on the weekends if you're really bored. That's that's the running back. I mean, I would have rather them picked Derisaw, who falls to the Steelers, who I feel like would be an awesome get for the Steelers at 24. I'd rather them pick Derisaw than ETN and bring oh, yeah. him at tackle. Easily. I don't I don't I don't get why you wouldn't Tackles invest in the trenches like that. Sorry. Uh let's read the last few picks here and then jump to DJ's mock. Zaven Collins, the linebacker for Tulsa, goes to Cleveland at 26. Linebackers getting mocked Cleveland like it's their job. At 27, one of my favorite picks in this one is if he does fall here, JC Horn, cornerback, South Carolina, the Baltimore Ravens. I think that's an awesome, an awesome play for the Baltimore mm-hmm. Ravens. Jalen Mayfield, offensive tackle Michigan, uh going to the Saints at 28. Aaron Robinson, the UCF slot quarter, going to the Green Bay Packers at 29. At 30, finally, Najee Harris, running back of Alabama, comes off the board to the Buffalo Bills. And then at 31, it's Joe Tryon, defensive end of Washington to the Kansas City Chiefs. And then, Levon Wuzurike was not only picked in the first round, he was picked to this guy, Christian Barmore, goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 32. Ooh, that'd be a great pick for the Buccaneers at 32 if he falls there. Because uh, I bet Sue probably retires and they're going to have some holes. Now they're, they're not going to be able to retain everyone. That just seems unrealistic with their cap situation. The pick I don't really get is Mayfield to the Saints. They got like 
two a first rounder at right guard, second rounder from two years ago at center, a guy getting paid like ten plus million dollars a year at left guard. Are you are they now they may trade Ryan Ramchick, they may move away from him, but like is Mayfield gonna start a tackle? I feel like everyone's pretty much saying he's a guard at this point. I I can't get on board with that. That's just that would be a wild one. Saints, I've said before, it's gonna be a bad offseason, but valuable positions is the point of this draft cornerstones that you can start building around i don't think a fourth interior alignment is a cornerstone i mean we also um love the idea of i don't know i lost my train of thought there yeah i get tell. but i do think that getting investing in the offensive line is important but at a certain point you have to have a path to the field right like if they're yes. if they're not trading right it's the same thing you said about yeah. caesar ruiz last well, it's year it's like there's tackles available there you know like there's Plus, Mickey Lewis trading is trading up anyway. You know, Mickey, you know Mickey. Yeah. Mickey's coming up. He's They'll coming be in the quarterback class. They yeah. might end up with Trey Lance. I like That's it. Good. I like it. Uh, the other pick, and I don't think we've talked about him a ton, but it's Joe Tryon. Like, I think he gets consistently mocked in the back end of first rounds, yeah. but is not considered a top 32, top 40 prospect on PFF's board. Yeah. What are your concerns with Tryon? I was going to say Mayfield, Tryon, are a few guys that we're just going to be lower on. He wasn't productive. He, he's, I think he had a 70-something pass rushing grade his last year at Washington. Um Long, pretty explosive, but he just doesn't really have pass rushing moves. And even like his bull rush is not that effective for like his skill set being long and explosive should translate at least to good bull to bull rushing college offensive tackles consistently. He did not do that. Shall we jump into Daniel Jeremiah's mock Let's draft now? Do it. It's just big board mock draft season. And the next yeah. week I'm excited to talk. And then we'll no, go. Yeah. Tomorrow we have the mailbag. Next week, we're going to talk some free agency. After the, And I got a ton of interviews lined up today. It's Trey Morick and Demetri Felton. But we've got a lot of cool ones lined up for tomorrow and next week as well. Uh, for Daniel Jeremiah, back at it. Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence at one. New York Jets, Zach Wilson at two. The Dolphins stay put at three and grab wide receiver Jamar Chase. Not Devontae Smith. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, wide receiver Jamar Chase of LSU going to the Dolphins at three. The Falcons take a quarterback in Justin Fields. And at five, Panay Sewell graciously falls into the laps of producer Mike Quinn and Cincinnati Bengals fans lap. Um, I think I'm going to, yeah. I think I'm just going to keep mocking Sewell to the Bengals just to, just to give them fuel hope. the fire. They need, they need the hope. You know, I don't actually think it's going to happen. I think he comes off the board before that. Really? I do. So you don't see quarterback one through four. I don't see quarterback one through four. All right. Here's a crazy scenario. That's kind of topical. Uh, so you just said that the saints are going to try to trade up Ryan Ramchek for five straight up. Hmm. Because they're trying, they, there's rumors that do they're it? trying to trade. Why wouldn't you do I it? I wouldn't hate it. You got to pay Ramchick immediately. Wow. Good, Cro- cross that bridge when you get to it. Yeah. I would, if I had like, where? what's the highest pick I would go Ryan Ramchick? Probably 20s, right? No, probably more like 14 in this draft, 14, 15. I'd go for Ryan Ramchick. Maybe they trade back, grab some receiving talent, and then trade, trade back one and then of- trade that for Ramchick. Oh, man. Now, the, I, I feel like you'd never get player trades the day of the draft. That's just rare. Yeah. It has happened, but it is rare. So. Randy Moss was traded yeah, day, Randy of draft. Moss day of draft. Um, but that would be, that would fix, that would fix your tackle problems. That'd be pretty sick, dude. I kind of yeah, like Everybody that wants Sewell because he's like this supposedly like can't miss all pro tackle. Like, why don't you just get, get an all pro tackle? Plus, I've seen some reports you know? that they don't really want to move Jonah Williams back and forth from left and right and all this stuff. And if you bring in Ramchek, keep him at right and keep Jonah Williams at left. I mean, there's some of that consistency as well. Maybe they are looking at some right tackles on the trade market. I like it. I like this conversation. Anyway, the, the notable here, I think, is the Miami Dolphins staying put at three and drafting Jamar Chase, yeah. who we see as the best receiver in this class. We'd obviously vote for a trade down. But if the Dolphins are stuck into picking at three and they're not going to pick a quarterback, this is 
one of my favorite picks for them at three. I think it's one of the better scenarios if they aren't trading out or taking a QB. Yes. Uh, I, I still would go Sewell personally, but I don't think you can go wrong. Like there's some, there's some blue chip talent in this class that you feel really strongly about. That guy's one of them. Number six, he has the Philadelphia Eagles taking Kyle Pitts, tight end out of Florida at seven. Micah Parsons, the Detroit Lions. Everyone loves that mock. I had that in my mock draft. Uh, Carolina Panthers take Trey Lance at eight. If he falls to them at eight and we don't see quarterbacks go higher, that I think is a dream scenario for the Carolina Panthers. Literally dream scenario. If you don't have to trade multiple picks to go up and get him, but feel confident you can get him at eight, I do think that's, that's what the Carolina Panthers want. I don't know if they'll get it, but I think that is a dream scenario for them at nine, Caleb Farley, and at 10, Pastor Tan. You're going to see 9-10 mock those two corners a ton this offseason. No surprises there. Let's talk more about the, the Trey Lance thing. So we we already seen this mocked in Tom McShay's, but they had to trade up to three to go get him. Staying put at eight and getting Trey Lance, is that not the best case scenario for Carolina? Yes. I think it would. I mean, best case scenario for any of those teams that need a quarterback is not having to move but still getting your quarterback. Yeah, like if so, Trey Lance yeah. is on the board for Denver at nine, yeah. like that's a dream that's scenario. Like dream you have scenario. to make that decision. Yeah. I do think ultimately when you think a guy is the guy, when you're that confident in him, you don't leave it up to chance because one third rounder, whatever it's going to take to move up a few spots, probably a little bit more than that, not inconsequential to what that guy can bring to the table. The, the interesting pick here to me is the Cal Pitts to the Eagles. I don't know what the Eagles fans want, I feel like anytime you mock anything, they get upset. Besides maybe Devontae Smith. That's the only guy it seems like that they'll be happy with. But Kyle Pitts, again, not redundant to an Eagles team that will have Dallas Goddard. Probably won't have Zach Ertz. I imagine he's cap casualty. Not redundant. They run a lot of two tight ends anyway. But I think the most two tight ends of any team in the NFL already. Yeah. They would, they would jump at that possibility to pair him. Vastly different skill sets. Again, not redundant. No, I, I don't think Eagles fans are even upset with that pick. Okay, maybe good. some are. Maybe some right. are. But I Should do think having Kyle pick. Pitts and Dallas Goddard and then obviously maybe trading away or Cap Cowsley for Zach Ertz is the move if you know Jamar Chase is already off the board. I'd rather have Kyle Pitts at six than Devontae Smith at six. Ooh. I would. I'd rather have Kyle Pitts at six than Devontae Smith at Your six. Your positional scarcity argument fat strongly comes into play with Kyle Pitts in this class. Yes. You won't find another. Not even close. I don't if think you you'll find another specific. next year. Like yeah. You're not going to find Kyle Pitts next year. Yeah. I, I, I do think taking him at six over Devontae Smith, as DJ has mocked here, maybe isn't like what everyone wants, but I, I definitely agree that I would take him over um, you don't, Devontae Smith. Charlie Kohler is the next Kyle Pitts? I don't think Charlie Kohler, the Iowa State tight end, is the next Kyle Pitts. Uh, New York Giants at 11. They grab Gregory Rousseau, not a receiver. Uh, Giants fans are probably furious. Giants fans, every time you mock them not a receiver right now, they are getting pissed. So they grab Gregory Rousseau. It's like Miami. the anti-2020. What anytime you did mock him receiver, they got Yes, it. yeah, anti-2020. At 12, the San Francisco 49ers grab Rashawn Slater. Trent Williams likely to leave in free agency, so I like that pick. And then at 13, Jalen Waddell, wide receiver of Alabama, goes to Los Angeles Chargers. Not Devontae Smith. And then at 14, finally, Devontae Smith comes off the board to the Minnesota Vikings. Oof. And then the Patriots, I love this pick. J.C. Horn at 15. Fit. That is a fit and a half. A fit and a half. He'd fit in. DJ has the receivers mocked in the same order as PFF has receivers ranked. And I don't think anyone should be all that stuck. I don't think anyone should. But either, even if you don't agree, even if you don't agree with PFF's ranking, I think when we first had that come out and everyone saw that Devontae Smith wasn't our number one receiver or our number two, I mean, we were getting death threats. And now I think it's going to be more normalized that like, hey, you could, you could view this receiving class this way. You could. It's, there's a chance that you could. 
And Daniel Jeremiah said in his entire time in the front office, he had to tweet about it because he probably got so many death threats too. Yeah. No one's ever brought up postseason awards that guys won. And that was a Devontae Smith tweet. That was, that was, he didn't say Devontae Smith, but it was the Devontae Smith. Because there were probably so many fans yeah. saying, why, to, you know, first Heisman winner since Desmond Howard. And like all of that is impressive. I agree. But I, you have to look it's at like, him as a prospect. Des had a great receiving career too in the NFL. It's Easy. Like, Good return. He's a Super Bowl MVP. Um, Packers legend. But the one pick here that I still like, Devontae Smith, where his fit goes, the Vikings, it was kind of one of those fits in the mock where, like, shit, I haven't drafted this guy yet. I got to throw him in somewhere. Yeah. Because I don't think that's a good I Like, that one, they, they run fewer three wide than any team in the NFL. Now, some of that's because old BC Johnson would be your third wide. Yeah. Some of it's that is just scheming two talent, but they don't want, like, they want to be a two back or a two tight end. They want, to run two wide receivers, and that is their offense. So adding a third guy, again, pass to the field, I don't see Devontae Smith, even if they did add him, would be playing 50% of the snaps there. So. I'd be floored if the New York Giants pass on Smith or Waddle at yeah. 11 for Greg Rousseau. And I also think something that doesn't get talked about enough here, Gettleman. adding speed for the Chargers, adding Jalen Waddle with Keenan Allen with that offense, and Justin Herbert, like that, I really do like trying to build around Justin Herbert in a hurry is sick. Like, don't like because I've seen, I think the most common position mocked to the Chargers at 13 is offensive tackle, but I haven't seen receiver a ton. And I also, I really do like it if Waddle or Smith are on the board at 13 for the Chargers, going and grab a guy like that would be pretty sweet because I think you have to, you have to build around Justin Herbert. And I know the offensive line needs help, but I kind of like Jalen Guyton though. I mean, he runs like a 4 3. He's kind of already got that. He's not Jalen Waddle, okay. but Guyton's all right. Easy. I'm just saying. Doesn't he have like the lowest yards per run of any receiver in the NFL last year? Did he? I think so. Oh, no. I'm thinking of a different Chargers receiver. But still, I do think that you can get an upgrade over Guyton. Uh, call me bold. Call me crazy. Fourth, I think you can get an upgrade three. over Guyton. Uh, at 16, he has the Cardinals grabbing Elijah Vera Tucker of USC, the offensive tackle, likely guard in the NFL. At 17, Quiddy Pay to the Las Vegas Raiders. I think edge rusher to the Raiders should be commonly mocked in this class. With Who are you taking off the field? Burrell or Crosby? Which one goes? Any of them. <laughs> Either or. Uh, but you have Quiddy Pay. I, I mocked them Jason Owe in my mock draft. I think you could see – Gregor Rousseau, I think you could see them go after a pass rusher, largely because Gus, Gus Bradley, the new defensive coordinator, does not blitz. He needs yeah. a pass rush that can win with four. four and if you don't – right now they don't. They don't have a pass rush that can win with six. Like they need help there. And I think adding a Quiddy Pay or an Owe could make sense. At 18, this one – I hope we don't see for Miami Dolphins fans' sake, but Najee Harris running back going at 18 to the Miami Dolphins at 19. Washington football team lucks into Christian Derisaw at 19. I don't think he'll last that far. And then at 20, Chicago Bears, wide receiver Kadarius Tony. I can't get on board with the Miami Dolphins pick, but we can't just spend the entire podcast talking about running backs in the first round. I just, I think it, uh, if they were to go running back in the first round, it would feel very much like after obviously going their other need wide receiver their biggest need it would feel a ton like the jaguars going leonard fournette when they went leonard fournette number four overall whatever which where that was a complete roster they had filled all their needs in free agency except running back the dolphins have done a very good job of building out that roster via draft free agency the past couple of years and probably may even do some more adding this offseason and it will feel very much like we have no other need but running back take top running back when that's not how I would. Hop. No, it's I kind of reminds me also when remember when the Raiders took Jamarcus Russell and then the following draft I think took either Darren McFadden or Darius Hayward Bay and then the following draft one of those two guys. I, I think, think they, Hayward they, Bay was next. They like no, went, sorry, 
They went Russell, McFadden. Hayward Bay, McFadden. No, it was McFadden then. Hayward but I feel like they were just like, okay, we got the quarterback, let's get the running back. We got the running back, let's get the receiver. And at that point, it's like, okay, you're overdrafting from positional need. That same class had Michael Crabtree and Jerry Macklin, and they went for Hayward Bay. McFadden, probably not the greatest pick uh, with his injury history and the value of the position. But still. Skinny legs. Skinny legs. The other pick I wanted to highlight in here in this kind of set was um, the Chicago Bears going after Kadarius Toney. Adding a, a freak athlete like that, a guy that can do it after the catch, is something that I don't think they currently have. And yeah. like they might lose, lose Allen Robinson in free agency or likely will. I don't think Anthony Miller, I think Anthony Miller might have played his last game in Chicago. Oh, um, do you? Yeah. I mean, that's what I've heard. There's some people saying that Anthony Miller might be Trade on his it. way out. Cut? It's not I don't bad. Know. I don't know. I don't know. That's either. what I've heard. I didn't hear I'm not hearing this, but I again they they do the Bears have a number of different offensive needs, I will say. So wide receiver uh, if if they don't resign Allen Robinson, yes, like I get on board. Don't complain. I would not complain about that whatsoever. Indianapolis Colts at twenty one in DJ's mock take Greg Newsom of Northwestern, the corner at uh, Tennessee Titans take Jalen Phillips at twenty two, the edge defender from Miami. Then Ronnie Perkins of Oklahoma goes to the Jets at twenty three. Jalen May- Mayfield, the uh, offensive tackle from Michigan, to the Pittsburgh Steelers at twenty four, and then Jeremiah Owusu Kormoa to the Jags at twenty five. Two names that I don't think we see consistently mocked in the first round here. Yeah. 21, Indianapolis Colts grab Greg Newsom, And then at 23, the Jets grab Ronnie Perkins. Your opinion on those two prospects? Colts and Newsom is a... They're a team that's going to be high on Newsom. That's what the they arms. like. Yeah. They like the length. They like the athletes. They've said that. That's how they scout. Now, they haven't had the best luck in terms of drafting cornerbacks. Like, oh gosh, who's the guy's Rocky Scene? Rocky Scene has not been great for them. They've been much, much better in evaluating those guys in free agency, like adding when they added Kenny Moore, when they added Xavier Rhodes this past year. But the draft, that sort of blueprint for how they draft has not been the best. But they're a team that would cover a guy like Newsom that highly. Then the Ronnie Perkins one I love. That guy, the more I watch him, he's, just, he's, he's got that burst and can play low. And he... When you can bull rush at under 250 pounds, I think you can do that. That's that's the guy I want. He's also like a high motor guy. Like yeah. he's like effort. He's got effort, explosiveness, physicality, athleticism, all this stuff. And also, I want to look more into his background because he was what suspended for the first part of the season for yeah, something. I think it was a drug test. Something. I think there's some opportunity to look into his background, look into his off field. But on the field, what you see is a guy that shoots out of the cannon at the snap. And I think anytime you see. Those explosive pass rushers, man. It, it, it gets you excited. I start to get I'm interested. Excited. All that stuff starts to come down. All right, last few picks here. Joe Tryon, again, mocked at the back end of the first round. This time he goes to the Cleveland Browns at 26. Trayvon Morig, safety, going to the Baltimore Ravens at 27. Saints grab Mac Jones at 28. That would be quite the scenario for the Saints. I don't know if Mac Jones lasts that far. He lasted that mock. far in my mock, too. Yeah, but I do think Mac Jones at 28 would be a fantastic situation for the New Orleans Saints. And Mac Jones. Like, that would be a good situation for Mac Jones. I, that's an ideal situation for Mac Jones. At 29, Tevin Jenkins of Oklahoma State goes to the Green Bay Packers. At 30, Aziz Ojulari to the Buffalo Bills. At 31, Landon Dickerson, even after the ACL tear, goes to the Kansas City Chiefs to go play, safe, uh, go play center. And then Nick Bolton, linebacker, goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, likely to replace Levante David if he do, they do lose him. I would like that because an NFL-ready guy. He can come in and I feel like year one, you're not going to be Levante David, but year one, he's not going to be a liability, whereas other linebackers in this class can't necessarily say that about. The one pick I want to highlight here that I would just cry, obviously, Green Bay Packers, if they pick Tevin Jenkins, offensive tackle. 
just Elkton Jenkins is their tackle of the future. Get on board with it, everybody. He's incredible. He's a, what was he an All Pro guard this year? Was he? He was great this year at guard. Whatever he was, All Pro guard in my eyes can be an All Pro tackle. He is that talented of an offensive lineman. If they're drafting offensive line, make it mid rounds, make it interior line, which they did a ton of. They just like drafted three guys in the late rounds last year in the interior. Other positions prioritize Green Bay. Rashad Bateman's still on the board in this situation. Right? Rashad Bateman there at 29 could be the move for Green Bay. Trying to manifest. I also, I mean, again, in both these mock drafts with McShay and Daniel Jeremiah, it has the Baltimore Ravens addressing the secondary, even though that's still already a strength for them with Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, et cetera. Adding safety Trayvon Morig or in, in um, McShay's mock, adding J.C. Horn, like I love continuing to throw resources at secondary when value makes sense. I think Morig would be a value here. I think Horn would obviously be a value at 27. I, I really do think buying into that strategy for the Baltimore Ravens would be, would be really sweet to see. That's going to do it, man. Went some mock drafts, went some big boards, and then now we're going to jump to some interviews with Trayvon Morig. What a tease. With Trayvon Morig and then also UCLA running back slash receiver Demetri Felton. Let's get it. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Joining 2-4 Drafts podcast is former UCLA running back, wide receiver. I don't know what to call you these days, Demetric. <laughs> Demetric Felton of UCLA, fresh off a fantastic senior bowl performance that honestly put a lot of put you on the map for a lot of people. PFF has been big on your game, though, since 2019. You know, me, mm-hmm. Mike, Mike and I uh, on our podcast said we thought if you came out in 2020, you'd be one of the better running back prospects coming out. Obviously, you decided to go back to school, play UCLA, and now entering the 2021 NFL Draft. It's great to have you on the podcast, man. I hope you're doing well. Thank you, man. I appreciate you guys having me. Of course, dude. Let's let's talk about the Senior Bowl. It's the elephant in the room, and rightfully so. You had an absolutely stunning Senior Bowl. Got down to 189 pounds, played a bulk majority of the reps at wide receiver, and put on a clinic. Let's call it what it is, Dimitri. Put on a clinic in the one-on-ones. I've talked to multiple receivers in previous Senior Bowls. Terry McLaurin. KJ Hill of Ohio State, both Ohio State guys, uh, Denzel Mims. They talk about you make your money in the one-on-ones, and you did mm-hmm. that, my friend. What what was your motivation going into that week? What was your mindset going into that week at the Senior Bowl to take on the one-on-ones and, and really play so much wide receiver as you did? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my mindset was just to show people that I can do it. You know, I didn't get a lot of chances at UCLA to show my versatility at the wide receiver position. And, um, you know, it was something I've always been working on. And so I was just excited to get the opportunity. Yeah, it was. So was part of your mindset also to kind of drop weight? What did you play at uh, weight wise at UCLA this past year? Yeah, this past year, I got up to 200 uh, pounds and I I dropped a little bit of weight just to get, you know, just stay fast and whatnot. But um yeah, like I just wanted to be able to show uh, that play receiver, Jim Nagy. He wanted to bring me on as a receiver. And so uh, I was excited just to show that side of my game. Have you, have, have you received any feedback maybe from your agent or from NFL teams about what position you should look to play in the NFL? Are there teams talking to you about playing this hybrid running back wide receiver role? Do teams see you as just purely a slot? I'd be interested to know like what, 
what you're thinking right now in terms of what position you'll most likely play or most play in the NFL. I already can tell you this, you're going to be a chess piece, but what do you think mm-hmm. you're mostly going to play in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, I uh, that's, a, that's a hard question for me to answer as well because when people ask me, like, what position am I the best at, I just say I'm the best with the ball in my hands. So you can either happen at running back or receiver, just put the ball in my hands and I'm going to make plays. So that's the way I see it. And I think I can be successful at either position. So it's up to the team really to, you know, choose what they where they want to put me. And versatility is massive in today's game for all skill positions, really being able mm-hmm. to play at outside receiver and in the slot, slot receiver and in the backfield. All those things come into play with how mm-hmm. creative offenses are getting. The edge in the NFL right now is getting creative with your skill players. So I think mm-hmm. you're, you're in the right mindset to try and play everything. I want to turn back the clocks a little bit. You are okay. a former four-star recruit at wide receiver. That's how you, you recruited to UCLA as a four-star wide receiver. You played wide mm-hmm. receiver your first season there with the Bruins and then made that pivot to running back. What mm-hmm. went into that pivot? What went into that change for you? And why did UCLA want to put you in that position? Okay. So um, the running backs coach, Deshaun Foster, he always thought I could move into the running back room and have wanted me to, but uh, previous coaches didn't want to move me there yet. Cause I played mostly running back in high school, but UCLA wanted to convert me to a receiver. So I went there as a receiver and, you know, I was learning uh, how to run routes and everything. And at the beginning of fall camp, my junior year, our starting running back, Joshua Kelly, who's on the Chargers now, he got hurt. And so they needed some, uh, they wanted to add some more depth just in case he wasn't able to come back. And so they asked me if I wanted to move and I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I moved, worked up the ranks and was able to play running back. Next man up mentality. You love to see yeah. that, man. That's that's awesome. I, so what, what surprises me is that you, because it wasn't that you were just beating people down at the Senior Bowl with, with athleticism, which you have, but it was largely what drew me to how good of a week you're having was the polish. Like, were you still mm-hmm. working releases and practice at UCLA, even with your, even while playing running back? Like, how did you maintain that receiver skill set going into Mobile? Because you played running back for the past two years. I was so yeah. impressed with how polished you looked at the receiver position. I'm always running the routes. Uh, I'm always, I was, I would always go out there with my quarterback, uh, Dorian, and I would run routes and just try to make sure I had that in my back pocket. You know, I, I just tried to master every part that I can, you know, so I can, so my team can use me, uh, whichever way they want to. And so that's just, you know, just a lot of work and just being consistent at it. You know, NFL fans of your game are are excited because they've seen these types of players work out so effectively in the NFL. Naheem Hines is that running back receiver type. Ty Montgomery Mm -hmm. in the past. You also have Mm -hmm. recently Antonio Gibson, who was Mm -hmm. a former receiver at Memphis. Do you watch a lot of NFL tape? And are there certain backs or certain skill players you watch that you like kind of take your game after? Yeah, I want to say when I moved into the running back room, the running back I tried to emulate most was Kamara, just his ability to move around the offense, whether at like receiver or running back. His just mix of uh, catching ability and his running style is very intriguing to me and just something that I try to put in my game. Do you watch a lot of ton of film on yourself? I'm always interested to know, like at different positions, how much film you're watching. Are you watching film on yourself when you're looking at opponent scouting and opponent film? What are you looking for in an opposing defense? Talk to me about like your film preparation and how much that factors into what you're doing in the off season and even what you're doing in game weeks. Mm. So yeah, I, I watch a ton of film on myself. I'm always looking at ways to improve 
like what I'm doing and just how to get an extra yard or how to break an extra tackle. That's always my mindset. Like I'm always trying to get better. And, you know, that's just something I uh, attribute to just my coaches, just that mind uh, mindset. And, um, you know, other than that, when I'm looking at different defenses, I'm looking at, you know, how they tackle, just tendencies they have. Um, that's something I pay a lot of attention to, just how they tackle. If they put their head down, if they're not looking at what they're trying to tackle. That's something I add so I know when I'm running and I try to manipulate them with how I'm running. Maybe they think I'm going this way and at the last second I make the cut and break the tackle. So that just goes into, you know, a lot of the film study that I do. At the running back position, I find it interesting because the, the NFL game is changing. You know, the game mm-hmm. is such a passing game these days where running backs need to catch, they need to pass protect, they need to do so many more things than just run the football, you know, be that three-down runner that used to be like the Adrian Petersons of the world, the Ricky mm-hmm. Williams of the world. Those those backs are going away. It's now like, mm-hmm. I want a guy that can catch passes, I want a guy that can be like an Alvin Kamara. What mm-hmm. do you feel like are the most valuable skill sets for running backs in the NFL right now? Is it forcing missed tackles? Is it catching the ball out of the backfield? Is it running routes? I'm interested to know what you think is most valuable at the position in today's NFL. I would say in today's NFL, the most important thing is exactly what you said, you know, being able to run the ball, being able to catch the ball and run routes, being able to create those mismatches are like very important in today's league. And so that's something that I tried to put in my game. So NFL coaches can see and be like, okay, we need that type of guy on our offense. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think mismatches is the right word. Like you want a running back that is a mismatch for opposing defenses, whether that's in pass protection, whether that's as a route runner. I, I, I like that call out a lot. I know mm-hmm. you're down there in Tampa Bay working out right now, preparing for, I'm sure, what is UCLA's pro day sometime in March. Mm-hmm. What drills are you working right now? Are you setting any goal weights, any goal times for any specific drills? I want to get a little insight on what you're looking mm-hmm. forward to for your pro day. Yeah, uh, mostly I'm just working on my uh... – my 40 L drill, most of the combine workouts, uh, my goal weight, I want to get back up to 195. Um, that's where I'm shooting for. And yeah, my, my pro day is supposed to be March 23rd at UCLA. So I'm just trying to prepare for that and make sure I'm ready to go. Awesome, man. Well, I want to finish the interview with this. I like. I think you're going to do, I'll tell you right now, Dimitri, you're probably going to do a lot more Zoom interviews with teams here in the future, <laughs> man. And I think the most common question, so I talked to Charles Snowden recently, Virginia uh, defensive player that is uh, entering this year's draft, and he said he's already had a ton of interviews, specifically at the Senior Bowl, and I'm sure you did as well. One of the mm-hmm. most common questions you're going to get or probably have already gotten is why do you love football? And I think I got to hear from you. Why, why do you love football? Why do you love this game? I love football because I love to compete. I love to get better every day. And this game gives you that opportunity day in, day out. And so just being able to do that, be able to work hard, celebrate with your teammates after a win, after all the hard work you put in, is uh, something that, you know, you don't get to do all the time. And so I'm just trying to be able to, you know, experience that as much as I can. And so that's why I love football. And that's why I've been playing since I was seven years old. That's awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good one. Joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is none other than former TCU safety Trey Morig. Uh, best free safety in the class. I'll say it right now. Mike sees it. I see it. Best free safety in this class. And deep safety is a position where you see a handful of guys in the NFL that can actually pull it off. Now that Earl Thomas isn't playing in the league or is kind of floating around in free agency, 
there isn't really like an elite free safety in this class. Maybe Justin Simmons, or not this class, but the NFL. Justin Simmons, um, Anthony Harris, uh, Jason Bates, but you coming in, filling a big role in the NFL. Excited to see you go the next step, man. Trey, it's great to have you on. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate all the love. It means a lot. Thank you, Brad. Of course, man. We, we're big fans of your game. We've been big fans of your game since your 2019 season, really, where you really kind of, I wouldn't say broke out, but had a really exciting season that year. And that, I think, is when we first kind of got on you as a prospect. But going into this season, talk to me about some of the challenges going on, going from a very productive, from a ball production standpoint, passes, defense, interceptions, all of those things in 2019, a 91.6 PFF grade that season, to a 2020 season where – you're, you don't even know if you're playing every game this week. You know, yeah, like it, yeah. it, it must have been a wild adjustment going from 2019 to 2020 with all the COVID impacts on the season. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It was just, you know, hectic. You know, every day was something new. Um, we just had to go play it by a year kind of thing. Um, but I'd say I think the team handled it well. I think um, we all handled it well and came together and just found a way to, you know, play our play all our games and play our best and, you know, just hope for the best. Um and I think we did that uh, winning seven games and uh, just came out with a strong season. Talk to me more about your role at TCU. I know over the past few seasons, at least, they've played a ton of quarters coverage. You play a lot of deep safety looks. And I think you have a ton of ball production. No safety in this class has had you know more com- a combination of more that passes defense and interceptions than you. Yeah. Is that so much of it? I know a lot of that is the role that you're playing, but also a lot of that is that those instincts are that pre-snap recognition. What do you think feeds that level of ball production for you? Well, I think just over my college career, I think it's a testament to Coach P's defense. Uh, his defense just allowed me to show my versatility, whether it be, you know, like you said, a single high, two high in the slot, in the box. So I think just, you know, playing under him and getting coached under him and all the other coaches just allowed me to show versatility. Um, and I was comfortable. I learned. I learned how to play each spot, and I was comfortable in each spot. So they just allowed me to to show off my skill set in, in each uh, position. Yeah, let's talk more about your versatility as well, because I do feel like you have a, a very good skill set to play deep safety at the next level, play free safety and single high looks. But you have a ton of experience playing a ton of different positions at TCU. Do you want to be that kind of moving chess piece that Tyron Matthew in yeah. the NFL that plays in the yeah. slot that plays in the box, or do you find yourself wanting to kind of master a role? I know Minka Fitzpatrick, former slot cornerback at Alabama, goes to Miami as a first round pick, played outside corner, played slot, and is now playing a ton of deep safety for Pittsburgh and loving it. I'm interested to know because there's two ways to think about it: mastering yeah. one position or being this chess piece. Definitely. I think it just would come down to team needs. I definitely think I could play wherever they need me. Uh, definitely learn the system, play whatever the position they need me to. But if they need me to solidify position, I definitely can see myself doing that. Um, you know, it just depends on, on what they need for me. But like I said, I think my college career just helped me, um, like I said, get that versatility and that, that knowledge from each position that I think I can, you know, go on from moving forward. I mean, yeah, over 300 snaps played in the slot this past year. Even over the past two years, 300-plus uh, snaps played in the slot, also some deep safety and, and box safety as well. Have you had a lot of conversations with NFL teams about the role they want you to play in the NFL? I know guys that went to the Senior Bowl talked to all 32 teams in kind yeah. of like a speed dating situation. I've had a handful <laughs> of conversations yeah. with them. But have you had yeah. any conversations, whether it be Zoom or in person? Yeah, I've talked to a couple teams, um, uh, not specifically about what position they want me in, you know, kind of just general questions about me, um, how I play defense in college, um, you know, kind of my goals and and everything. I haven't gotten into the specifics about what position they want me to play, but but like I said, I think I'm I'm 
pretty, pretty, um, you know, like I said, ready to be in whatever position they put me in. You're a big Dallas Cowboys fan. I know that. I'm sure you've been seeing some mock drafts. I mean, mock drafts are crazy this time of year. There is a mock draft that comes out every hour, I think, and it has a different scenario, a different trade. But seeing some mock drafts where you land with the Dallas Cowboys, how much of a dream come true would that be? That would be awesome, man. Like I I tell everybody, I grew up watching the Cowboys um, my whole life. That's always been the team I've, I've turned on the TV, watched with my family. Um, but like like you said, it'd be a dream come true. It'd be it'd be awesome to stay up here in Dallas. I love the community. I love the atmosphere, and I love the team. So uh, that'd be a blessing. Do you pattern your game off to, after anyone in the NFL, or do you watch a lot of NFL talents and guys that you kind of want to mirror in the NFL? Definitely, I I, I say this all the time, and people kind of like, huh? Uh, I, I say Jamal Adams, not just because you know we we kind of have two different playing styles, but I like the way he communicates on the field. Uh, at TCU, that's that's kind of all I did. I was the QB of the defense, so I, I just like the way he takes over the defense and just communicates and um, just does his thing on the field, and that's, that's what, what I try to do. How much film are you watching in season in a given game week, say watching you know opponent film or even your own film you know, to kind of get an understanding going into each week, and how, much, how does your film study shift in the offseason? Yeah. Do you watch more of yourself, or do you watch a lot of NFL guys? Yeah. I'm interested to know what, uh, what film work you do. Yeah, during the season uh, – we pretty much watch film every day. And then, you know, once we're, we're done with practice or watching film, I'll go back to the, to, to my house and watch some more film on, on my phone or, or on the app or, or whatever. Um, but transitioning into the off season, I'm kind of right now, I'm kind of just watching myself and, you know, what I can improve on what, what things I see I need to do better or um, what I'm, you know, better at. Um, but, but right now I think it's just, you know, kind of just getting the understanding from me and, and I've also watched some, you know, NFL teams, not specifically just watching YouTube videos of, of games or whatever it may be, just to pick some knowledge out. And So what are you working on right now at uh, Exos? I know you're working there in Frisco, Texas at Exos. Are you setting any goals in mind? I know you said you talked to some teams about goals, but do you have goal weights, any goal times for some of these drills? Uh, my goal is to just run fast and, and uh, be strong. That's pretty, that's pretty simple, I mean. Uh, I don't. I don't want to get into the, any specifics. Uh, you'll, you know, you'll see it when a uh, pro day comes. But um, I'm definitely loving Expos. They're they're taking care of me. I definitely feel like I'm improving every single day um, and building relationships. So I'm I'm really loving my time during during the off season right now. Yeah, uh, run fast and get strong is kind of my goal every day as well. So I'm glad we're yeah. in the same page, Trey. We're in the right. We're in the same page. Uh, what 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 weight did you play at this past season? Uh, it's kind of fluctuated between 200, 205, um, anywhere between there. I like to, I like to um, stay in between anywhere from two hundred five to two ten. Um, that's a that's a that's a good range, man. I was talking to Aleem yeah. McNeil, the NC State defensive tackle. They said they asked uh-huh. him to play at three forty, and he's like, "Yeah, now Ooh. I'm trying to get down to two twenty. It's like, dude, yeah. dropping twenty thirty that's pounds at the that's insane, dude. I mean, I yeah, guess he's yeah. got the weight to lose, but that is yeah. uh, it's nice to be able to like, yeah, two hundred five, two ten. You know, yeah. you're a nice little range here, nothing too scary. Um, yeah. I, I also wanted to bring on and, and talk to you about Ardarius Washington, other TCU yeah. safety. There, a really talented guy, smaller guy, not in the same wavelength as you from a size perspective perspective but brings the energy on every single play a really good communicator on the field from what you can see on tape and someone that we've likened to at pff to a tyran matthew a guy that can play in the slot the guy that can play in the box even with some of the size constraints and those things we hope to have him on the podcast soon but give me your perspective give me your scouting report on our darius washington man that's that's my boy that's my dog i mean like you said he can play anywhere 
um, do anything. He fills multiple roles. Can is very versatile as well. Um, I mean, don't knock his size. He, he's a dog. I mean, just because his size don't, don't mean anything. You see him. Been, he's been making plays in the Big 12 since he stepped foot on the field. Um, but like I said, I, I, you know, that's my boy. Uh, I love love him to death. And uh, I see him playing a long time in the NFL. Let's finish with this one, Trey. I think a lot of the time, you know, a lot of NFL teams will ask you this question throughout this process. It's probably one of the more common ones. I'd love to get your answer on the podcast. Yeah. Why do you play football? Why do you love football? And why are you so excited to go play in the NFL? I'd say it's just this is my dream since I was a young young kid. Um, you know, watching football growing up, just wanted to get the ball in my hands and, and score a touchdown. Um, you know, just just wanted to have that, you know, that feeling of I'm I'm being a part of a brotherhood, being a part of a team and and just having fun with it and everything I do, having my my family behind me, watch me and support me. Um, you know, just just at all. I love the whole experience. Well, I can't wait to watch you in the NFL, man. I hope to get you back on the podcast, maybe after a pro day or something like that. This has been great, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Definitely. I appreciate it. Appreciate the time uh, taken out and, and everything you've done for me. Appreciate it, man. I'm moving Trayvon Morgan up the board, Mike. I'm sorry. He has to come up the board. Cerebral dude, really smart player. I think he's going to consistently get better. He also wants to do some film review stuff with us in the offseason. Be on the lookout oh. for that. He is... He's, he wants us to teach him football. He might I be a my guy at this point. He might be a my guy at this point. No, he doesn't want us to teach us football. He's going to teach me some football. I was going to say, I, yeah, I would love I would love for Darius to teach me football. Yeah. Dimitri Felton, I mean, what he said, I think, about Kamara and how much he watched him. I think I don't know with where he stands from a weight perspective if he does ultimately play a ton of running back in the NFL. But I think ultimately he's going to be used as this kind of joystick chess piece and he's buying into the idea it's like hey i need to catch the football i need to make plays after the catch that's how i'm gonna win the nfl imagine though using a joystick to play chess like you just mentioned it sounds like you've the never done boring it boring thing you've never played a and you're trying joystick to chess you're trying to comp Dimitri felton to joystick chess awful i'll do it again he's the human <laughs> joystick chess piece anyway uh fantastic stuff on the podcast here make sure you rate review and subscribe to the pod we're we're, we're cruising right now everyone is in love with two foreign drafts Show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Mike Quinn, 2 for 1 Drafts.